I know you feel strongly about wins not being a quarterback stat. 100%. As somebody that went one and five as a starter, I really, <laughs> really, you know, feel you on that one, big time. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into another version of the Chop Shop, where we break down what we saw from the previous week in the NFL down to the studs and tell us what it really means. Now, normally, uh, every week I do this with my good friend Mark Schlereth. Mark is away in Alaska right now, so I'm bringing, I'm going to the bullpen, going to the bullpen and bringing in the perfect guy to replace Stink, uh, because uh, we're talking a lot of quarterbacks this week and quarterback play. Uh, he was a former NFL quarterback, a, a dear friend of mine, and a guy I worked with for many, many years at ESPN, and he's still there. Uh, the great Tim Hasselbeck is here. What's up, Timmy? What's up, Trey? It's good to be on with you. It's good to replace Stick, too. I feel like uh, yeah. I feel like you know, we spent a lot of late nights together, like taping re-airs and things like that. So <laughs> I'm glad to fill in while yeah. Stick's away. We're, uh, we're in the Wayback Machine, but pressing forward, I guess is the best way to describe it. And, and as we press forward, Tim, I think we need to come to the realization that we need to throw out whatever the book was on Lamar Jackson and start rewriting it. Because the knock on him, if there was a knock, was that, look, because of the way the Ravens run their offense and because of Lamar's somewhat limited passing range, that if you get up big on them, that's a problem. And up until last year, he had never overcome uh, the team as a quarterback with him leading them, had never overcome a double-digit deficit. Well, he's already done that twice in primetime games this year. Week two, they were down 11 to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They hung on to win that game. Uh, they were down 22-3. to three. They were down 19 points in the Monday night game. And Lamar Jackson just went off. I, I think whatever we thought about Lamar, we have to change what we thought about him. Yeah, and I think that's probably the case, Trey. Don't you think of really almost his entire career, right? I mean, yeah. you know, before he came out, it was like, well, let me tell you all the things he can't do. And it's like, well, okay, well, let's let's see if he can play quarterback. Let's see if that style of play can last 16 games. Can it last more than one season? And, um, you know, I think the, the reality is, is that he's answered a lot of these questions with like, hey, yeah, he can do do those things. The thing that sticks out to me, I think, the most, though, Trey, is that you know a lot of times for quarterbacks, if you get off to a bad start, it's hard to pull yourself out of it. You know, a lot of guys are momentum players. That's why you hear coaches talk about, like, hey, we want to get this guy into a rhythm and get him going. But I think that just – and it's probably because Lamar, like what he's experienced as a quarterback in that, you know, he can have a, a series or a quarter or two quarters where – you know, he doesn't play great, but he's so talented that he literally is just one snap away from making the best play of the game to all of a sudden, like, give everything life again in terms of, you know, the offense he's playing for. So I just believe that there is a athletic confidence that he has where they can be behind. And that's okay for him because probably throughout his entire lifetime of playing sports, he literally has been one snap away from making the best play that anyone's seen. Correct. And the other thing, because of the way the Ravens set up their offense with him through most of his, his years as a starter, it wasn't a take shots down the field kind of well, offense. It was a let's matriculate down the field. And the other thing that really struck me in coming away from what he was able to do Monday night, and we've seen it a couple times now. You know, he threw for he threw forty times. He had he had forty attempts, right? 
This was the 4,017th game in NFL history where someone threw at least 40 passes. He completed 86% of those passes. Uh, that's the highest completion by a quarterback in those 4,017 games. So not only is he uh, a more volume passer now, he's becoming a more accurate passer. And that is a lethal combination if you're a defensive coordinator trying to stop Lamar Jackson. Trey, crazy thing when you just put those you know stats into context. And I, you know, try to think about this when I evaluate a quarterback, you know, whether it's a draft or during the season, is, you know, go shoot 10 foul shots, okay? Yeah. And maybe you make eight of them. Now, go, you know, run 10 sprints, then shoot 10 foul shots. Like, you're right. not going to be as good. So, no. you know, if Drew Brees is going to throw it 40 times, you know, at some point in his career and, you know, have a certain completion percentage – well, look, that's going to look differently than the guy that's asked to run quarterback power or a zone read, then throw the ball. Then, oh, by the way, you know, run bash counter. And then, okay, now we're going to throw it five more times. Like it is different from a completion and accuracy perspective. If you will also in your offense are asked to run the ball, which is why whether it's Josh Allen or whether it's uh, Lamar Jackson or some of these quarterbacks that are used in their team's run game, when their completion percentage is good, it's different than when other more traditional stay-in-the-pocket passers are accurate with the football. Yeah, you're asking him to do a lot more and still hold on to that accuracy, which is the, mm -hmm. which is the bottom line of what you just said, which is not easy. It's, it's like I've always said, this is why you know, uh, golf is a really weird skill because let's say you're a really good driver of the ball, okay? Well, you have to be a chipper and a great putter as well. It's like telling Tom Brady, hey, you're a great quarterback, now punt. You know what I mean? You're, you're asking <laughs> someone to do a lot of different skill yeah. things at one time. Yeah. And, and what Lamar is doing now is absolutely incredible. Josh Allen, I think Sunday night, put himself along with Lamar way up at the top of the MB. And I know it's a, an malleable list and it changes dramatically. But right now, I think the three would be Kyler, which we'll get to in a little bit later, Josh and Lamar. That was a... Uh, that was a beatdown on on Sunday night. Like like, it, it was it was the way the Chiefs toyed with Buffalo last year when they played them twice, once in Buffalo in the regular season, once at Kansas City in the AFC title game, and beat them two completely different ways. This was an absolute smackdown by the Buffalo Bills, basically saying, "Hey, cool about last year. This is our year." Yeah, it didn't feel all that competitive, and no. you know we're we're only a few weeks into the season. And I think it probably would have gotten a unanimous response if you had have said, you know, okay, who's the best team coming into the season? Or who's the best team in the AFC coming into the season? I mean, I, there have been very few people that didn't say it was, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm sure I was one of them. I was one of them. Right? I mean, look, and there are a lot of reasons, you know, why. Now, it's not to say that, you know, people outside of the Bills Mafia didn't think that, you right. know, Buffalo was, was getting there and was close. Um, but... There's a lot to like about Kansas City, a lot to like. And your assessment of what they did on Sunday Night Football is accurate. And it just seemed like, you know, when I guess when, when Kansas City scored at the end of the third quarter. And so I guess they, they came within eight. Yep. I thought, ooh, OK, maybe, maybe this is like here comes Mahomes. They're going to, you know, claw back into this thing. And then Buffalo goes on like a seven and a half, eight minute drive and it was and then scores a touchdown and you think, wait a minute, that drive 
just took the opportunity for like the number of possessions that Kansas City needs, just took it away. And, yep. you know, being able to sustain a drive like that on the road after what happened with the delay at halftime and all of that, you sat there and had to think, it's a pretty impressive team performance. And yeah, you know, Josh Allen, you know, speaking, you know, talking about some of the same stuff we were just saying about Lamar. You know, you think back to the touchdown Josh Allen rushes in to start the game. I mean, are you kidding me? Like they run bash counter, which is yeah, with their know, quarterback. A, like that that is a that's a Saturday spread offense quarterback run run in between the tackles. That is a Lamar Jackson run. And now Buffalo's doing it with a six foot five, two hundred and you know, thirty, forty pound quarterback. Um yeah, like that 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 team is for real and the quarterback is for real. You know, I had gotten a lot of grief because I was telling them, you know, telling a lot of people, look, they're doing things that other Super Bowl champions have done through the first four weeks of the season. People are like, oh, who have they played? And I'm like, well, what do you want a good team to do to a bad team? You yeah. want them to beat the crap out of them. You want them to beat a good team? Fine. How about we go in Kansas City and stomp on them and win by, what, 18? Is that enough? I mean, like, mm. I, I don't think you can question what the Buffalo Bills are anymore. No, nah, listen, I, I agree with you. And I think back to this. Think how this started. Before Josh Allen got there, um, Sean McDermott was, you know, fielding a competitive team with mediocre quarterback play at best. Yep. But they're playing really tough defense. And I think that he kind of cultivated a culture uh, and mentality in the organization. And all of a sudden they got the quarterback. And now it's like, oh, yeah. This is working now. Like, this is really working. So I do think there were some early seeds planted kind of in the McDermott era that, you know, are paying off in terms of just the, the mental toughness of that football team. And now, you know, they've got one of the best players in football as their quarterback. Yeah, and, and as for Kansas City, I think some of their problems are fixable, but some of them are not. Like, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, on the first drive of the game, you know, Mahomes does the Mahomes thing. It's third and 12, and they need to get down to the five-yard line, otherwise they have to kick a field goal. And he hits Tyreek in the hands. Like, Tyreek makes that catch 99 times out of 100. He drops it, they have to settle for a field goal. So automatically they're trading three and down four as soon as Josh Allen gets their situation, right? Well, then there's the, the pick six in the second yeah. half. That's bounced off a receiver's hands, okay? Mm -hmm. That's not on Mahomes. The Gregory Rousseau interception uh, down by the goal line when they were threatened to make a game out. That's yeah. just an unbelievable play by yeah. Gregory Rousseau. Like, the, the play was there. The, the back was open in the flat, and I think he was going to walk into the end zone. Rousseau was just an incredible athlete who made a play. So those things are fixable things. The things that are not fixable to me right now for Kansas City are their defensive deficiencies. And uh, someone that you still work with, and I used to work with, Paul Hembikitis, I think summed it up perfectly. In the history of the NFL, there is there are metrics by what the greatest offense of all time is. One of them is how many yards per play did you get? In the in the entire 101-year history of the NFL, the best team to ever do that over a season was the greatest show on turf, 2,000 Rams. They averaged seven yards a play. Right now, Kansas City is averaging giving up 7.1 yards per play on defense, which is a fancy way of saying everybody is the 2,000 Rams against this Chiefs defense. Which is absurd. I saw that I mean, as well. It is. It's. I mean, it's crazy. It's bad. And, it's bad. 
And and I agree with you. If you just think about just some of the turnovers that are uncharacteristic of yeah. you know these Chiefs teams, whether Mahomes is aggressive with the football, but he's been really good, you know, protecting it as well. Tyreek Hill has been a really sure-handed receiver. Um, you know, I think Andy Reid has handled um, you know guys with fumble issues in the past extremely well. Where if a guy does not have a history of being a fumbler, like he's like, look, we're not gonna make this a bigger deal than it is. Like yeah. we've scouted this guy. We know how he carries the football. Like we're going to be fine. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, Andy Reid's teams have not been turnover machines. So I think you're on no. the money about, you know, some of their losses this year, you know, pin right back to, you know, turnovers the football away. Okay. That being said, like what you're saying about their defense is crazy. And I think watching Sunday night and I did this breakdown on, you know, for sports center after the game, um, Buffalo throws a check down, check down to Zach Moss. And he runs like 25 yards. Like the yeah. linebackers are turning, they're in zone. They're turning to go match. And there's just like a lack of awareness that like you can't still check the football down. Like not, not every pass needs to go to the deep over route. And then I think it's the very next play. They're out of position because they're trying to disguise a coverage with Daniel Sorensen. And then you think back to the, the touchdown where Sorensen just kind of like stops in coverage. Like he lost his man after like four seconds. Yeah. Well, just like, and, and one of the things, you know, playing a team with a quarterback that moves around, like you're not done covering a guy when the initial route is run. In fact, at that point, it's kind of like, Oh no, no. Now I need to like, I need to cover tighter because you know, this is where they get a lot of their big plays. So I think there are elements of that. Look, I, I want to give Steve Spagnolo like like a, a chance to like fix it, right? And yeah. you know, you go go back to um, you know that Giants Super Bowl and that first one, Eli's first one in two thousand. You're better at years than me. Two thousand forty-two. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. two thousand seven. Super Bowl forty-two. Okay, so like, remember how bad they were for the two, first two weeks of the season? They were like, terrible. They, they almost went 0-3. It was a goal line stand that stopped them from going 0-3 against Washington. Like, epically bad. I think it was like, like you know, it certainly was franchise bad, you know, epically bad yeah. through the first two, maybe league-wide. Um, but then he fixed it, right? Then he, he got it, you know, figured out. He's coached a lot of football, knows a lot of football. You know, you would have to think, like, at some point, and they, have do, they do have good personnel that yeah. – they can just get like they don't have to lead the league defensively, but just get somewhat better. Yeah, give give Mahomes and that offense three stops a game, and you're yeah. probably going to win ninety percent of those games. There's been a coaching turnover uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders after those emails came out about John Gruden. I, I'm not surprised how quickly this happened, but I, I will say this, Tim. I find it somewhat interesting, and we're getting sort of conspiratorial here, so bear with me. Um, that this was an investigation that included 650,000 emails regarding the Washington football team. Because this this is an investigation about the Washington football yeah. team and owner Daniel Snyder. And somehow the Gruden emails are the first ones that are leaked. And they're horrific. I won't defend them. I, I Whatever had to happen had to happen. I'm with that 100%. But I do find it interesting that that's the only thing that's come out of these 650,000 emails so far. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to find that point not you know beyond curious right yeah I mean, like right that, like you're telling ball, me that's the only thing that's yeah, the only thing yeah. and it involved another coach on another team that wasn't with that team from 10 years ago our responses to those emails right yeah. by who they right. were sent to um so you're exactly right about that in fact 
you know, I received text messages from people saying, wait, why did, like, how did these emails from Gruden come up if he didn't work for them? Like, what, like, they were almost confused of why, uh, you know, it was so centered around Gruden. You know, obviously it was because of how horrific they were, you know, that. Absolutely, not undefendable. But, um, yeah, I think there was some confusion just from, like, people that I'm friends with that are just, you know, casual might be a little bit light, but, you know, just general football fans um, that are like, wait a second, I, I'm confused. I thought this was about the Washington football team. So, yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously when investigations happen, there's the pe- potential for leaks as the information is gathered, you know, from other people. And, um, and clearly it was kind of a, a fairly slow rollout, you know, from, you know, when this started, I should probably not that slow. So when it started and kind of came around and, you know, probably Trey, and maybe you would agree with this was only going to intensify, um, you know, leading up to either John Gruden getting fired or resigning. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and again, I want, there's two issues here. Like to me, these things came out about Gruden, deal with them fine, but don't tell me in 650,000 emails when all the things we've heard about the Washington football team and all the problems we've had there and all the things that have changed that that's going to be the only thing that you're going to find when you're looking through all these emails. I, I, I'm sorry. Don't believe that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, just even the responses to it. And I, you know, part of uh, why, you know, that probably ends up being, you know, relatively important in my opinion um, is that, you know, there's definitely a prevailing feeling. There's an now. owner. There's an owner involved in this yeah. side of it, though. Well, there's yeah, an owner and involved. And there's probably a prevailing feeling, Trey, you know, that, you know, is understandable that, you know, when, when people see the Gruden uh, communication, that they say, look, this is pervasive. This is going on all around the league from other people. You know, it would be hard yeah. to tell somebody um, and and feel like, hey, no, that, that it's not, you know, yeah. like. I think what's unfortunate about that is, look, I don't know how everybody communicates. I certainly didn't know that this is how John Gruden communicated. But, you know, in my communication with people, it's not like that. With your communication with people in the league, I'm sure it's not like that. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think that um, it just causes like more and more distrust and also a feeling that like this is so, so prevalent throughout the league. Maybe it is, but like, also, maybe there are people that are going to be cast in a light that, you know, ends up being unfair as well, just because they think like, yeah, this is how all of these teams talk about um, yeah. whether it's Roger Goodell or Demora Smith or, or a player or uh, a female official or any of that. And, you know, through my experience talking to people involved in the league, it's not. And so, yeah. um, look, that's doesn't that doesn't matter when you know, we see the way John Gruden has communicated. Correct. I, I think the bottom line is I, we should expect to see some more of these things coming out. Otherwise, it'll raise a lot more questions. So uh, why don't we leave that there as a pin and wait for more of that to come out? We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some other quarterbacks that are lighting it up. Chop Shop with my guy, Tim Hasselbeck, right after this. It's football season, baby. And you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of this show, Manscaped. Look, Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time you joined the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code WINGO to get 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window for all those other trimmers, and now go tame that 
Wildcat offense. The world is starting to open up, and the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Retriever Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for a great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are as smooth as Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when you need it for that more precise performance. Did I mention this thing's waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of 4.0. Although if you're doing this in the snow, I have serious questions. Look, there's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. This package also comes with a weed whacker. The Elite Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degrees rotary dual blade system. The trimmer also has proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate areas. After thinning your footballs, show them some love with Manscaped's liquid formulations. We have an exclusive offer for our audience. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WINGO at manscaped.com. Manscaped also threw in two free gifts, their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code WINGO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WINGO. All right, back on a Week 5 Chop Shop uh, with Tim Hasselbeck in for Mark Schlereth, who's out in Alaska right now. Uh, We talked a lot uh, at the start of the show about what we saw from Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, A couple of other quarterbacks have continued their stellar play here uh, through Week 5, including uh, Kyler Murray. Now, this was kind of a weird game, you know, Um, but Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are 5-0 for the first time since they were the St. Louis Cardinals in 1974. This is a long time. And what we're seeing here, Tim, in my opinion, is the trust that GM Steve Kime put in Cliff Kingsbury's trust in Kyla Murray paying off and putting weapons around him to make him a better football player. Yeah, that's a great point, Trey. I mean, I kind of hadn't thought about that in a while in terms of going back to the decision to draft Murray was really like, yeah, yeah, we know what we did last year in the draft, but like we're all in. I, you know, I hadn't kind of brought myself back to that moment in a while. Um, but you're right. And I think one of the reasons you could kind of uh, come to grips with making that decision kind of year after year and then go in Kyler Murray. And I um, have been saying this, you know, kind of recently, and I truly believe it to be true is that while we have seen quarterbacks as fast as Kyler Murray in the NFL before Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson. Okay. We've seen guys as fast as Murray before, but we have never seen quarterbacks. Okay. That are that fast that are this good in the pocket. And we just got done talking about, you know, how good Lamar was passing the football and all of that. All that to say, Kyler Murray's polish in the pocket from how he came into the league was really, really good. I mean, outstanding. He's a guy that kind of had been groomed to play the position. He's very comfortable playing, you know, inside the design of a play, inside the pocket, does a great job in some ways, kind of like a Doug Flutie, like way undersized, but as a passer, just still really remarkable on time, finding throwing lanes, being accurate, seeing it, reading it, all of that stuff. I think 
like this is the first time somebody this fast and this good of like that natural of a passer. And we're seeing it kind of come together. And, um, and I think it's really, really impressive. And, you know, obviously they've gotten him some help. I think Cliff has learned a little bit in terms of how to be a better head coach. Uh, defensively, they're making enough plays. But I think this last weekend was also a really good example of that team kind of getting a bit of an ugly win, which I do believe is important for them. Absolutely. Like, if you can find a way to win when it's not all clicking, that's usually a very good sign. We saw that from Kansas City last year. Good teams find a way to win ugly games, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that, to me, was an ugly game against a rookie quarterback that a lot of people are thinking you guys should really tap dance these guys, and they didn't. But at the end of the day, they found a way to get it done. And it's like a 15 – I hate going back to golf, but I will. It's like making a 20-footer. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's like making a 20-footer to save par, and it just keeps you around. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, I didn't lose anything yeah, there, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. good. Like those, those kind of games can have long-term ramifications for a team like Arizona, who quite frankly is literally learning how to win. No, and think about this. Take, take a team like uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Like, yeah. they have found ways where it's like, oh, my gosh, you're right there. Like, that was – like, the margin was so small and you ended up losing that game. Or, look, the Chargers, you know, to an extent, if you think back to the, you know, beginning part of the season where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, how did you – you know, how did you let that one go? And then we, you know, get into week 15, 16, 17, and you look back and you're like, Remember that one? Like, how bad is that? That a, a legal procedure before the you know before the snap yeah. ends up, you know, negating a touchdown and and costing them the game. Yeah. So when you win some of these ugly ones, and and you think back to that just that little thing that you were able to do. So maybe it was a Kyler Murray third and seven scramble for a first down or you'd been struggling all game but that one time you got the one-on-one -on -one opportunity with Hopkins you were able to give him a catchable ball in the end zone that he was able to come down with and boom that's the difference so yeah um look they're confidence boosters they also start to provide that cushion when you start to look at how things are, are falling at the end of the year in terms of winning your division home field advantage being able to rest somebody because they've got a, a sore wrist as you head into the playoffs. Yeah, all those things matter. There were so many crazy games. Uh, and we could, like, week five was nuts. Uh, but the Chargers-Browns game was insane. And, and I just think it was another example of how almost everybody was wrong on Justin Herbert. This kid is doing things that are on an otherworldly level right now. Uh, you know, he has more 300-yard passing games, 11 through his first two seasons, uh, than the previous record holders, Patrick Mahomes and Dan Marino. That, that's where we are historically with this kid, okay? Like, that's a really – if the list is you, Dan Marino, and as I call him, Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes, that's a tremendous list. And that's where this kid is right now, and he's doing it in a different way than most of the rah-rah types, which is the thing that I love about it, because that was supposed to be the knock against him, his introvertedness. Instead of trying to be something he wasn't, he's just going to be like, I'm going to be the best version of myself, and it's going to be good enough. First off, you're right about the list. I'm not a part of those lists. My list is very <laughs> different than his list. <laughs> so here's the funny thing about him. Um, he's on the level 
when you talk about size and athleticism yeah. and ability, he's in the class with two other guys, Mahomes and Josh Allen. Boom. When you're talking size, athleticism, ability, that's the that that that's the list he's with there. And so um you know, it was interesting, like the evaluation of him and his personality and lack of leadership and all of those different things. Where's that fire? Does he care? Some of that stuff. Um, look, guys are different, man. Like, like, you know, some guys are fiery. Some guys aren't. Some guys are extroverted. Other guys are not. Some guys love all kinds of attention. Other guys don't. Um, and I don't think those things really translate to whether or not you're going to be a good quarterback or not. They just I agree. They don't. And um, look, I thought in evaluating him coming out of Oregon that it was hard to get a sense of him um, because of the offense they played in. It was just hard to get a sense. It was like, man, I, I'm not sure. Like, how does that translate? All that to say, what was clearly obvious is the physical tools were there in spades. Like it was, yep. there was no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think it was maybe a Rose Bowl run where you you looked at it and you're like, wait a second, a guy that size just outran everybody on that defense. Like there were a lot, there were a lot of things to that. I will say this: anytime people talk about you know the rah rah leadership stuff, and I know that you and I have talked about this, Trey, uh, both on and off air. Eli Manning was not a rah-rah yeah. back. Eli no. Manning, in fact, I got called into Tom Coughlin's office and he was like, hey, what can we do to get him to talk more? And I'm like, I don't, why are you talking to me? Why don't you talk to him about it? You know, but I, my response to Tom Coughlin was, look, with all of our other personalities, okay, Tiki, Plexico, Shockey, Sean O'Hara, like other guys, yeah, and then non-guys on defense, like, Look, the calming presence, I don't know that that's a bad thing for us right now. In fact, that might be really, really good for us that he's not, you know, a hothead and there's not conflict all the time. So, you know, if you think about, you know, Justin Herbert, look, they have other guys that, you know, are more talkative and have, you know, kind of leadership tendencies that are different than his. And that's okay. But you know, from a ability standpoint, yeah, he's in the elite of the elite. And then there's the other thing that happened in this game, and I want to get your take on it. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, this was another game this year where Baker Mayfield needed to make a play for his team to win, and the Browns and Baker came up short, like in some way that the loss is a problem for Baker Mayfield and the offense. And I want to get your take on it, but here's why I think that's just boatloads of crap, okay? They scored 42 points. Way to guard your tongue. (laughs) Okay? They scored 42 points. They had 532 yards. And they had had zero turnovers. But you're now going to tell me this is a Baker problem? Uh, Like, what planet are you on? It's not a Baker problem. It's just not a Baker problem. Look, sometimes... You know, there are things out of your control as a quarterback. And uh, look, you know it. You're right. 42 points. He was really good in the game. They ran tremendous. They, they, like, that wasn't the problem. The problem was giving up 47 points. Like, that was. There uh, it is. You're right. Like, like, that's the problem. And, you know, I think sometimes you've got to give credit to the other guy because you go, wait a second. 
They gave up 47 points, and we know that defense is nasty. Like, that's yeah. a really good defense, and those are very good, really good pass rushers. So, um, and they hung in there, and really, let's be honest, they should have given up. What was it? They really should have kicked the field goal with no time left, right? They Correct. really should have yeah. given up 47, but 43 or four, or whatever it was. But, right, I, I have a hard time with that. I mean, listen, I, I know you feel strongly about quarterback win or wins not being a quarterback stat 100 percent. somebody that went one and five as a starter i really <laughs> really you know feel you on that one big time um so look that's that's real but i think this about baker and i you know was asked a lot about him going into the game last week going into last week and i can't imagine it's changed because i think they called over 30 runs in that football game they had called more runs than anyone in the NFL, rushed for more yards in the NFL, and had more rushing touchdowns than anyone in the NFL going into the game last weekend. It's probably not any different now uh, after what they did this past weekend. If you do that, it doesn't mean you're going to win every game, okay? But you're going to be just fine. And truthfully, it's going to help your quarterback play better. And that's why I really think that Baker is going to ride the roller coaster a little bit, or the Romo coaster, as you're well familiar with. Uh, but truth be told, like, like that's what it'll be, and that's going to be good enough for the Browns. It really will yeah. with the way the rest of their team's constructed. Yeah, and again, we'll move on and we'll wrap it up. Before, I just want to throw this out there. Before Sunday, here were, the, here were the number of teams that had scored 40 points in a game and no turnovers and lost. Zero. Here were the number of teams that have scored 40 points, 500 yards, and zero turnovers and lost. Zero. Okay? So, like, if you, again, if you're focusing on the wrong thing, if you have concerns about Baker Mayfield in a game where he and the offense do that. We'll wrap it up with this. It seems like, Tim, every year we have one of those weekends where kickers just suck. And it was clearly, it was clearly this weekend. You said I'm not on that list. You're on this list. You did a lot of holding in your in your time. Okay, yes. so yeah, so so you you know what it's like to be on that special teams unit when the kicker is spitting the bit. I mean, we had 13 missed PATs uh, through week five. That is the most in the Super Bowl era. We also had 27 total missed kicks, so 14 missed field goals and 13 missed PATs. That was the most in one single weekend since 1986. What is it like when a kicker has missed a couple of kicks out there and they say, go out there and do it again? Like, do, do you as the holder say, no, this time you got it? <laughs> well, let me say this about holders. Like, we're always blaming the kickers. Is it maybe because we got like punters holding instead of backup quarterbacks holding? Like, remember, it used to be the backup quarterback. Like, maybe those well, guys. Tony Romo ruined that for Tony Romo ruined that for everybody because he was the start backup quarterback. Then he became the starting quarterback, and he's still held. And yeah, yeah, hashtag you Seattle the AFC. You know. <laughs> Look, I think that I mean I'll tell you what I thought during uh, that Bengals Packers game. Crazy. I was like, I know Aaron Aaron loves his boy, Mason Crosby. Like I know, I'm sure those guys have had a bunch of nice dinners together and love hanging out. But I think there was part of Aaron that was like, nah, man, like we're gonna score a touchdown. Like that's just where right? we are right now. Okay. On like, fourth and on fourth and inches, he had missed four in the game. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm what kinda, are you doing? I'm kind of like, 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 we're good, man. Like, you stay yeah. there. We're gonna quarterback sneak this. We're like until we get inside the 10, like we're we're just playing offense. And I yeah. will tell you, when I was with the Giants, 
Kevin Gilbride, we would talk about these. He was the offense coordinator. We talk about some of these end of game scenarios and Kevin like had a lot of passion in him. Like he, you know, when he would talk about things, like he had strong feelings about things and, you know, whether we're like looking at a situation that had happened around the league that week, or we were planning ahead for something, he's like, like, we're not leaving it up to him. He's like, I have seen way too many games lost because we feel cool kicking a 38-yard field goal with some kick. Like, we're not doing yeah. that. Like, we're not. And look, I'm not sure that that's the right approach. Like, obviously, there are some guys that have won a lot of games kicking game-winning field goals, and that's great. But, like, you're asking, like, what is the feeling? Dude, the feeling is this. There are some coaches that are like rolling their eyes, want to throw their headset, looking at the head coach like, really? Like we're sending this dude out there again? And there are guys on the field being like, especially linemen, being like, let's go for it. Let's run it again, man. Like, what are we doing? Like, we're like, come on, run behind me. Like, they're, like yeah. if you're asking what the feeling is, like that's the feeling. Um, and like, I don't know what's right or what's wrong, but it is – um, yeah, there's a lot of people thinking like this dude's not making this kick right now. As I tweeted on Sunday, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, never give Mason Crosby a third chance to kick a game winning field goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Tibby, I appreciate you uh, jumping in this week. Always good to catch up with you. And, uh, maybe we'll do this again real soon. Okay. All right. So, hey, listen, anytime stinks out, let me fill in and, uh, look forward to hearing you back on here with stink soon. See you, man. Perfect. See you, buddy.